It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The Final Furlong Podcast with Emma Kennedy is proudly brought to you by All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app and get involved today. All About Sunday. We love racing. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook, the market-leading messenger betting service, providing best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing, plus with the option of instant withdrawals. Visit kalukisportsbook.com to sign up now. And if you are on the Kaluki Twitter page, which is Kaluki, K-A-L-O-O-K-I, or you'll see their free Cheltenham Festival ticket giveaway. One lucky winner will get two club enclosure tickets. Enclosure tickets, if I can use my mouth words correctly. That was 50 seconds. That's all it took. Uh, for the opening day of this year's festival, which is the best day to be there. Check out their Twitter page and find out how. Also, Three weekend passes for the Dublin Racing Festival up for grabs on this very show and on our Twitter page. We'll tell you more in a little bit. First of all, delighted to say that top commentator Simon Holt is alongside me. Simon, welcome to the Final Forum Podcast, my friend. 
Thank you, Emmett. Yes, good to be back and uh, a lot to discuss, I think. Absolutely. Your first show of uh, 2022, for that matter. And Gordon Elliott now has a exceptionally strong hand at the head of affairs at the Triumph Hurdle Market with Pied Piper uh, heading over to the JCB Triumph Hurdle Trial and bolting up just the nine-length victory. Um, it was all about, for uh, Gordon, prior to this, um, and he did, I must say, uh, mention the Supreme. But since then, he's kind of walked that back and said, no, they're probably going to take each other on, which is going to be very, very interesting if they do. Uh, so Pied Piper is now favourite. Phil Dore, who was the Antipost favourite and has won his three consecutive races with his form franked in the UK on Friday when we were on TalkSport. Um, Phil Dore is now second favourite. So what did you make of Pied Piper storming up that Cheltenham Hill? Well, you couldn't fail to be impressed by him, could you? I mean, he's won in an absolute canter. And while you might question the substance of the form, uh, the horses he beat, uh, I mean, Forever William, who was third, was pushed along virtually the whole race, didn't really travel. Uh, Paul Nichols' horse, Icio, who'd been so impressive on his debut, he pulled too hard. And he was one of several Paul Nichols' train runners that, performed poorly last mm. weekend and it is this time of year that Paul usually gives his horses the flu jabs and I think he always does have a slightly becalmed January they're not all running badly but they did mostly on Saturday but I think the um, if you want something a bit more concrete I thought that the um, winning time was highly respectable for a horse that won so easily because it was pretty much well it was a little bit a shade quicker than Cormier's victory in the preceding handicap hurdle so for a four-year-old to do that, okay, Pied Piper was carrying six pounds less. Cormier is a, a 130, pretty decent handicap hurdler and still probably improving a bit. I thought uh, that gives the, the form, the performance, Pied Piper's performance, a degree of substance. And uh, you couldn't fail to be impressed with him. And he's a very highly rated horse to go jumping. These days, we don't get so many good horses from the flat going jumping. He was rated 96 on the flat, you know. I mean, that in itself uh, suggests that he's a pretty classy horse, bred by the Queen. Yes, that's right. I was going to ask you about that, actually, as well. Uh, I wonder, is she looking on going, one should have kept that horse? Because uh, <laughs> she's a massive racing fan. We know already that this is a, a season of all seasons. We haven't done that for a while, a commentating friend of yours on the Irish side of the sea for... Yes, he, he said a horse jumped like a bag of hammers the other day, <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've not heard that one before, actually, but I, I quite like it. It probably doesn't. Oh, he's brilliant. Jerry had him. But I mean, it's great, I thought. Jerry had him. He jumped a lot like a bag of hammers. It's absolutely fantastic. I, the first time I met Jerry was at Dundalk, and I wasn't sure if he was going to lamp me or, or like, say, hey, it's nice to meet you. And thank God he said, hey, it's nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> because he's been doing the a season of all seasons for so long. But he does have, he comes out with some perlers and uh, yeah. he jumped the last like a bag of hammers. Uh, was, was, um, was accurate for that horse. If I asked you to pick between Pied Piper and Gordon's other horse, uh, who hopefully we're going to see at the weekend, Phil Dor at the Dublin Racing Festival, who would it be? Well, uh, I'd say Pied Piper um, on, on the way he won, but um, I, I did read that Gordon Elliott thinks that Fedor is uh, a little bit better. 
Um, it does look as though they'll probably run against each other, doesn't it? Mm. In, in the drive hurdle. I mean, there was talk that Pipe Piper could possibly go up, go up in trip and run in one of the uh, other novice races, getting the weight. But um, I think um, I, I was quite taken with Pipe Piper, I, I, particularly as he was relatively unproven on that uh, fast surface, uh, which increasingly is looking likely at the Cheltenham Festival this year, unless um, we get a change in the weather. And you, you mentioned before we went on air that uh, there's quite a lot of rain in Ireland this morning, but um, the forecast here in Britain is is, is still a very dry outlook. Um, we're looking at having probably the driest running of the Silly Isles novice chase at Sandown on Saturday. And, you know, we're not so many weeks away from the festival now, and it's just vital that there's a bit of cut in the ground given the pace of the races. And, um, you know, we, we want those horses to have a safe run round, and, you know, you just cannot afford to be running on fast ground at the festival. And I know it's been a bit of a concern with the Dublin Racing Festival coming up this weekend that the ground was going to be too fast at Epperstown, but hopefully the rain that you talk about will ease the conditions so that all those good horses can have a run. Yeah, the weather in, I'm in Kilkenny today, not Cork, and it's miserable. And the forecast for Dublin is pretty damn miserable as well, it has to be said. But um, yeah. forecasts are I one think, thing. I think what happens is, you see, the, the weather sweeps across in a um, north-easterly direction, mm. and it tends to miss out. The, the southern half of the British Isles. I mean, I live I live right down in the south near Lingfield, and you. I watch the weather forecast at night. It's always the north and the, and Scotland that cops the bad weather, and it has certainly. We had that big storm the other day, and you know we just had windy conditions here, and um, it, it's. I haven't checked, but uh, looking at some of the um, places I've got on my weather application on my phone, which I'm a bit addicted to, a bit boring about it. There's just so little rain. Uh, forecasted you know so um and i'm just as we speak just looking at cheltenham and there could be rain next sunday there's a 50 percent chance of rain in cheltenham next sunday other than that it's a completely dry forecast yeah i'm looking at that as well actually it's ridiculous um but it's even, unusual, isn't it? even growing and up when it I'm, is a big problem yeah even growing up when i would go to london um for for the summer to spend time with my cousins um, I'd be in Harrow, and um, very posh. It would. Be, I, I say. I, I say. Uh, you go to Harrow. Tea, tea with the Queen. Uh, every, every you'll, know, you'll know Nick Luck then, won't you? If you went to Harrow. <laughs> I didn't go to Harrow Lord for Snoop, educational Lord reasons. Himself. He'll never shake that one. Uh, <laughs> they'd have they'd have kicked me out if I even looked at that uh, Harrow School. But um, no, I would go over there to uh, to Pat and Brendan and Kate, and uh, I, I loved it. But what would be interesting is that I'd ring Ma'am, and the sun would be splitting the stones in London, and it'd be lashing rain here in Ireland. So yeah, yes. I, I do I do remember that. Um, I they've an interesting conundrum. Uh, Caldwell Construction, because they've got Mighty Potter, who's already proven himself, and uh, I think we're seeing it at the DRF as well, but they've now got Pied Piper and High Glass Problem with um, uh, Phil Dore as yeah. well. So we'll, we'll we'll see how it all plays out, but it's it's very interesting, and that was, I thought, actually in the preview, that Gordon was giving him a cider, that it was a case of, let's yeah. find out just how strong the UK opposition is. 
oh, it's not that yeah, strong. Not. So I, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be more than inclined to, to stick oh. with um, Phil Dore, and we'll, we'll find out what happens. I mean, you'd have to say if both Pied Piper, Fyodor Red, and Baby Mighty Pot, that it's odds on an Irish win, isn't it? I mean, probably the best horse here might be Porticello, Gary Moores, who uh, won at Chepstow just after Christmas. I mean, he's quite a nice horse, and mm. Gary's very good with the juvenile hurdlers. Of course, he nearly won the Triumph Hurdle um, a few seasons ago with Goshen. But, um, I mean, I've just, um, in preparation for this interview, just been having a look at some of the anti-post lists. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's looking as though, unless uh, there are some serious upsets, that the, the Irish horses are going to dominate hugely once again. And uh, I don't think um, the punters really mind if they see good horses. But I do wonder a little bit for the future of the festival. I mean, some people say it's almost too popular and it's too much of an obsession now. But if Irish horses continue to dominate for another five years, say, I do wonder if it might affect the festival and, 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 and the way it's viewed a little bit and whether it will be quite so popular, actually. I mean, personally, it doesn't matter to me whether the British horses win or the Irish horses win. I just love to see good horses. But, um, you know, it's uh, if it becomes a bit of a one-sided festival for a long time, um, you know, that that just um, – it's, it's the same in other sports. I think of um, some of the sports that are dominated by just – one person or just a couple of the tennis for example you know how many times do you want to see Federer play Nadal you know mm. it's it's hundreds of times already isn't it and yeah uh, it, it might just it's it's better if it if it um, is interesting but uh, um, anyway we'll see what happens but certainly looking at these anti-post lists at the moment um, you know Shishkin is obviously one of the main hopes in, in Britain um, but he you know he's, he's not certain to beat Anokin I don't think and uh, then you're really pushed because most of the other favourites are, are Irish horses. I haven't I haven't looked at the handicaps, obviously, but um, in most of the graded races, you know. I do, I do feel compelled because I can hear Irish listeners and indeed UK listeners yelling at their smart speakers and speakers and yelling in the car going, hey, it was one-sided for long enough. Now, we, <laughs> yes. now we, we, we finally got our grips on things. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I take your point, and I, I think it's an important one. And I, I would just briefly like to put a button on this by, by asking you this question. Do you think that Paul Nichols has become somewhat disillusioned or maybe disheartened with the Cheltenham Festival? And that's why he's been talking about... Um, very prominent horses like uh, Stage Star and particularly um, Brave Man's Game as not going to Cheltenham. Now, while that's not what the owners want, no. he's inst- instantly to come out and say, well, the plan for Brave Man's Game is the King George after winning the Cotto Star. That's a bizarre thing to say. And to then say after Stage Star wins, I don't mind if we wait for entry. Yes. Well, it, it, it sounds as though he's um, um, got a bit realistic about it, perhaps. So certainly, I, I mean, I think Brave Man's Game should certainly run at Cheltenham. I mean, he's, he's um, a very good horse. He's an excellent jumper. Uh, I imagine, I don't know, I, I imagine he would run in the three-miler, and he's not favourite for that. Gallopin Deschamps is favourite, but... Uh, 
if you were to name, I, I mean, in defence of Paul, if you were to name the perfect race of brave man's game, it probably would be next year's King George oh, or yeah. the King George at the end of the year, um, given how well he jumped round there over Christmas and beat a Hoy Senor very easily, although Hoy Senor I thought was rather disappointing and didn't jump very well. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm impressed with the horse, and he is one of the main British hopes, and I think he should run at Cheltenham. He's, he's a high-class novice chaser. He was a very good novice hurdler. It was a pretty sobering sight when he was floored by Bob Ollinger last year. But I, I do have a little bit of insight in, into this horse because um, Paul Nichols, I think, feels that um, Brave Man's Game doesn't need a lot of work and that he'd probably just sort of, Slightly, it was slightly overtrained going into Cheltenham last year, and um, I think they're training him a little bit more uh, considerably this season, for want of a better word. That's not really the right word. Um, he's not having such a, a heavy workload at home, and um, because they discovered this, so I think if he turns up at Cheltenham, uh, he'll be in much better shape than he was when he was slammed by Bob Bollinger last year. Mm, I agree with you. It's just it's intriguing to hear him talk in the manner that he is but we'll see how it all plays out well, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have that many you know this is this is the situation i mean here we've got the the british champion trainer and you mentioned stage star and brave man's game uh, i can't off the top of my head think of all that many more that would be leading Cheltenham contenders not many uh, 300 through five has closed in the betting for the the National Hunt. Uh, I think it's the, it's the oh. the old RSA because it seems as though the McNeil yeah. family desperately want to go for the RSA. But yeah, I, I think, think you're right. I think it's the yeah. the National Hunt he should go for. But it seems as though the relationship with Adrian Heskin they're very keen to to maintain, and that's what they want to go for. And that could so be would, that could be Paul's out. Paul could then go. Oh, well, I've got one. Fit, where would that fit in with Brave Man's game? I mean, if he runs in the what used to be the RSA, it's now the festival. Novice Chase, isn't it? Is that yeah. the one? Yeah. And then we've got the two and a half mile, which is the Turner's Novice's Chase. Now, Gallop and Deschamps is in both of those. Do you know which one he's likely? I mean, he's going to run at the weekend, I assume. I really uh, what, hope he goes for the Turner's. So the shorter race. Yeah. So then you'd probably have Bob Ollinger running in the Turner's. Um, uh, well, so, I, I'm just looking down. I don't see too many that the Paul would have. You know that um, that you would say were you know had leading chances. And mm. um, it, I think three under through five, he just looks a stare to me. I, I don't know that he he's going to have enough class to win the um, the old RSA personally, uh, particularly if he's up against the likes of Gallup and Dishon. And the question is, would Paul run both Brave Man's Game and three under through five in the same race? I mean, they're different owners, of course, but, um, you know, he, he'd have two two good pokes if he ran them, if he separated them. Yeah, big time. Big time. No, I, I'm intrigued by that. I think it's a conversation that will we'll extend out further uh, as we build up to Cheltenham specials, which are coming very, very soon. Uh, Chantry House gets the better of his formal stable companion, former stable companion, even Santini, um, who I must say I was a bit dismissive of. So sorry, Polly Gundry. Um, that horse ran a massive race, and Polly now very keen to go back to the Gold Cup with him again, uh, with I right back in, in third. Um, I think people were expecting fireworks from Chantry House and, and Nicky Henderson. Nicky was of the view that, well, he said on this show last week, Kempton is Kempton, Cheltenham's Cheltenham. And now he says 
Cheltenham Trials Day is Cheltenham Trials Day. Cheltenham is Cheltenham. <laughs> it's like he's adapting his new catchphrase. Um, what did you make of Chantry House? Well, it was, a, I think most people would say it was a little bit underwhelming. Uh, he didn't travel perhaps as well as you'd like to have seen. Um, he didn't jump. He seemed to be lurching at one or two of the fences. There seemed to be a, a little bit of lack of confidence. But, um, you know, he came good in the end. Uh, for a horse that, um, you know, had, uh, had good form over two and a half miles, I mean, he looks like a, an out-and-out stayer to me, the way he won on Saturday, because um, it was certainly not done and dusted, you know, at the second last. And uh, he's really just kept on well. Santini, uh, as was reported and as Polly Gundry said, is a notoriously difficult horse to get fit because he's so laid back and he's a very quiet horse by all accounts, very nice horse. And um, he did run a, an exceptionally good race. And, of course, he's been runner-up in a gold cup, very, very narrowly beaten in a gold cup. So um, they have every right to go for the gold cup again, although I think he would be very interesting in a grand national mm. because I think all he does is stay and he jumps very well. And at the age of 10, uh, he probably might have lost a little bit of pace, whatever pace he had. I mean, he's always looked to me like a, a real out-and-out staying horse, a horse that um, takes a bit of revving up and um, can get outpaced and then come home. Well, when he was second in the Gold Cup, he was finishing very strongly. You know, he might have got up in, a, in another few strides. I think what weighs down the form, with all respect to the horse, is that I right was only beaten, what, five lengths. Yeah. And um, I write, you, you couldn't say was a Gold Cup horse. He's a very, very genuine, good handicap chaser, I would say. And um, I'm, I admire him. But uh, And he ran his usual game race, but he wasn't beaten that far. It's hard to see Chantry House, in all honesty, winning a Gold Cup. And uh, though if you ask me what does win the Gold Cup this year, I'm not sure I know because it just looks so, so open and, um, you know, one or two of them have been beaten in their latest races. And, uh, it, you know, so much depends how they are on the day at Cheltenham, what the ground is going to be like. You know, was a good example. Menela Indo, you know, I mean, he just obviously blew out completely in the King George. Mad tactics, I think, but probably the horse wasn't at his best anyway or didn't like Kempton. But uh, trying to take on Frodon in the early stages and, going so quickly it was just madness but uh, we we've seen that horse come back at the Cheltenham Festival uh, for several seasons now so uh, who knows you know but uh, I can't see Chantry House winning it frankly yeah I'm surprised Manila Lindo is, is as big as he is and it seems as though yeah. it's almost as like the decision's already been made by Rachel that she'll now go with a Plutard and that that's factored into the price but yeah. It's been a funny season for Henry de Brumhead. And, um, you know, he swept all before him last year. And, and last year was no one will ever take that away from him. And he's a brilliant trainer. Mm. But you kind of want to see a little bit more. And um, I'm, I'm. I think, yes, you'd want to be watching out for the way his horses were running in the, mm. in the two or three weeks leading up to the festival with regard to, you know, his leading candidates. And, uh, there's not that much between Manila Indo and Aplutard on their run in the Gold Cup last year. Um, but uh, both have been beaten on their latest starts, a little surprisingly, perhaps. Uh, Manila Indo is obviously a lot better than he showed at Kempton. It, it, it was probably just a, a real off day. A little surprising that Aplutard was uh, beaten uh, by Galvin, 
but Galvin, I quite like Galvin because I, I like the fact that he's got um, a good record at Cheltenham. And yes. if it was dry ground, I don't think that would inconvenience him because he's won on dry ground around there. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think he is no longer underestimated. He's now second favourite, obviously, but he's. it took people a while to kind of cotton on to him uh, and, and get there with him. And, um, you know, to finish second to Frodo on a down royal on your second start of the season was a damn good effort. And uh, Gordon's team are in tremendous form, so I, I wouldn't rule him yeah. out at all. And, and I, I like that, the fact that he's come from the not quite amateur rider, not quite four milers, novice chase, uh, because that has mm. provided us with good horses in the past. And um, and it looked a strong race last year, I thought, you know, he beat the nation, it started 10. And, well, it did at the time. Perhaps it, um, now it doesn't look quite so strong, but I, th- I felt it was a, a quality race, you know, and uh, he won it well and he's gone on since then. And he's continued to get better, hasn't he? And they've, they've tread... Traded, trod, <coughs> trod a, a, a gentle path with him, I think, you know, and uh, he's just got a little bit better every season. But uh, it's a very open race, and then it's still a few weeks off. We've got the Dublin Racing Festival coming up at the weekend. Maybe that will uh, be enlightening. Again, uh, the chances of a British horse winning the um, the Gold Cup, um, well, they probably rest with Protectorat, who has been a bit of a surprise packet, I think, uh, in, given that he's become a, a good staying chaser based on his win at Aintree. However, you know, he was the only one that was galloping at the finish there in desperate conditions. And then you've got Chantry House. You've got Royal Pagai, uh, who was who came back with an injury after Aplutar beat him in the Betfair chase and has come out again to win the Peter Marsh. Uh, I, I don't know whether he, 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 he would need plenty of giving the ground, I think. Yeah, he needs um, the mud flying, doesn't he? He would. You could see him in a in a muddy gold, in a traditional mud bath of a gold cup that he could outstay a lot of horses. But um, it'll need to um, it'll need to rain plenty, or or at least the Cheltenham executive will have to put gallons on um, for it to be suitable for him. I would imagine. Well, we'll talk about that before we finish because that may very well be exactly what uh, the Cheltenham executives do. But in terms of Chantry House, it just looked a slow motion finish to me. The first time cheap pieces going on, some people liked that angle, some people really didn't. And as you said, I think Santini is a horse who just does all his best work laid on and looks like a Grand National horse to me. And with the greatest respect to I write, I mean, his official rating is 159, so he's entitled to be there with Chantry House. But you and I both know that Chantry House is better than that. So, uh, no, I, I would I would pass him over right now, despite Nicky's. Um, Big claims last week. Before we move on with the review of the weekend's racing with the great and powerful Simon Holt, we have got a massive competition for you with our good friends from Leopardstown. We are back in business for the Dublin Racing Festival. The gates are open. We can all go. And Leopardstown have teamed up with the Final Furlong Podcast to hook you up with weekend passes. Not just tickets for the Saturday or tickets for the Sunday. Weekend passes. You and a friend there for both days, and we will be having three individual winners. How do you get your hands on one of the most sought-after tickets of the entire racing season? Very simple. All you got to do is tweet us at Final Furlong Pod or tweet me direct at Radio Emmet with a screenshot of whichever podcast app it is, Spotify 
that you use to listen to the final Furlong podcast. So once again, all you got to do is take a screenshot of whatever podcast app you listen to the final Furlong podcast on with following or subscribed, clicked to the final Furlong podcast. Send that to at Radio Emmett, at Final Furlong Pod. Use the hashtag FFP Comp and Tawala will announce the three individual winners where you get pairs of weekend passes to the Dublin Racing Festival, courtesy of ourselves and our good friends at Leopardstown, and we hope to see you there. Enter now, and the very best of luck. Back to the weekend review. Uh, His other big claim was about Champ, and he was kind of given it the the big what for, about it makes sense for... Chantry House to go for the Gold Cup because they've got Champ for the stairs and it allows Champ then go go for the stairs. Oops. Along comes Paisley Park and wins his third Cleve Hurdle. Uh, terrific story for Emma Lavelle, uh, Aidan Coleman, and, and of course for owner Andrew Gamble, who I think missed the race, was in hospital, but will be desperate to be back at the festival itself. Um, heartwarming stuff that Paisley Park is back in the winner's enclosure. I couldn't see it happening. Uh, I'm delighted that he is, but how disappointed with Champ were you? Uh, not very. Uh, I, I mean, after all, Paisley Park has a fantastic record at Cheltenham. The course really suits him. He's been under a little bit of a cloud. I understand that the, the vet, a very uh, eminent vet here, Clive Hamblin, has done a fantastic job with him. He had a little bit of a ticker issue, I think. And uh, Clive has really worked miracles and got the horse back. I'm a little bit concerned about this propping at the start, which Aidan Coleman referred to after the race. I hadn't really noticed that before, but it was certainly um, more marked before the race Mm. on Saturday. And that sort of thing doesn't tend to get a lot better when horses start becoming reluctant to race. So, you know, if you're going to bet Paisley Park in the stairs hurdle, you might wait until as late as possible, you know, before just to check he jumps off. It was a truly run race, which obviously suited him because he stays so well. And and us commentators and writers, we talk about Paisley Park always hit his usual flat spot. And that's usually sort of at the top of the hill. But it's at that stage of the race and they're beginning to run downhill where the pace is lifting. And and frankly, you know, he's probably a horse that goes He's got a high speed, but he goes much the same speed, I think. And uh, obviously, in most races, horses are slowing down in the final furlong, up the hill at Cheltenham particularly, and he's just keeping on. He keeps on doing it, you know, and I think that's what happened on Saturday. And I didn't think Cham ran too badly. I didn't think he jumped or travelled quite as well as he did in the the long walk at, at Ascot. The ground was different. It was obviously a quicker surface compared to at Ascot before Christmas. But I thought he ran perfectly well. It, it probably would be a, an audacious move to run champ in, in the Cheltenham Gold Cup now. Uh, mm-hmm. First run over fences all season. Uh, he's got his own way of jumping fences. And his form this season makes him a, a really strong contender for the stayers hurdle. He could win the stayers hurdle, certainly on his long walk performance. But much will depend, I think, how Paisley Park runs because, you know, he's an unstoppable horse at his best up the running. And, uh, of course, the uh, stayers hurdle is run on the on the new course with the long run in, and um, that suits him very well. 
So uh, I wouldn't be too negative about Champ's run. I didn't think, it, as I said, just I just don't think he quite travelled as supremely well as he did in the long walk, and his jumping probably wasn't quite as slick. But uh, you know, he's uh, he's still a very talented horse. You know, he's a he's an admirable horse, and he's he's a, a lovely horse to watch. I always think, and of course, who can forget that amazing finish in the RSA? a couple of festivals ago when um, probably Minerva Indo and Alaho cut each other's throats a little bit and he, he ran right on by them up the hill. That was a dramatic race. I still and the wonder. form worked out, isn't it? The form's good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all right, that form. I'm, yeah, it's I'm, good form. I'm still wondering how Barry Garrity gets him up. It's uh, It was an extraordinary yeah. feat. It really was. Um, in terms of, of Paisley Park, not everybody would have seen what happened at the start. He basically... It wasn't just that he planted himself. He turned sideways. And um, I thought Aidan Coleman did a great job of explaining it. But again, just it's not necessarily... Some people... There's, there's a thing that's alarming me, which is not everyone's watching terrestrial television and a lot of people are watching racing back on social media. And that's and then tuning into the final furlong and, and um, yeah. Roach Cheltenham and various other different uh, shows to to get their their takes um but i i thought you made a, a really good com- a really good point in that while aiden coleman is saying this is a, a thing that can happen with horses and aiden coleman was brilliant on him and i thought that comment from mm-hmm. ruby walsh it's a good thing i'm not riding because i would have given up was was ruby's comment um no he wouldn't <laughs> but it was a very flattering thing to say to, to aiden yes he, w- um, he wouldn't have given up not he, at he all great you know greatest i've ever seen he was able to make up the ground, albeit in last place, fairly easily without expending too much energy. But it is it is something that is a concern. And just in my experience of watching so much racing over the years, when you see horses on the flat that don't want to come out of the stalls and and in jumping many, you know, that, that suddenly get a bit shy at the tapes and uh, are not so enthusiastic as they were, you know, it, it's something that uh, is always a concern if you're going to have a bet, and it is something that often doesn't get better but gets a little bit worse. Yeah, I think that you now need to look at the stairs hurdle from the perspective of two weeks ago. Classical Dream was a short price favourite, relatively mm-hmm. short price. He's been beaten in the Galmoy. Yeah, Champ was then the default favourite. He's been beaten in his prep, so the defending champion almost by default, becomes favourite. And the defending champion was badly interfered with and badly hampered at the start to the point that you can still look at Danny Mullins and hear Danny Mullins telling the starter off uh, for the way things went. Now, Classical Dream, as has been pointed out in this show, just made a jump. um, And the starter has already turned away at that point. So there isn't a whole lot wrong with what Paul Townend did. But you can understand why Danny Mullins would be very, very frustrated, particularly given the running style of, of Florian Porter. I think if he's in the form that he was last year, he's going yeah. to take a hell of a lot of pegging back. I agree. I mean, he was he was very impressive, I thought. And he said he runs an end-to-end gallop. He's, he's absolutely relentless. Um, the only other possibility of the horses we've mentioned possibly is Time Hill, who... Uh, came back from a wretched run at Otoy. Uh, obviously was wrong or hated the ground at Otoy. I think they blamed the ground. Mm. He ran very well in the long walk. Um, he's a very tough horse. 
just a suspicion that he's he's leveled off a little bit, um, but that perhaps he was a little bit better a couple of years ago. But uh, he's going to be because um, he had to miss the race, didn't he? And was it last year? He had to miss the race, which was very frustrating. Yeah. And I was training him for it again, and I think he goes pretty well fresh. Uh, I, I like his attitude. I mean, he's a really tough fighting horse, um, a real battler. Not over big, but uh, tries very hard. He's the uh, other potential leading player, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It was very frustrating for Richard Johnson, who would have loved the opportunity mm. to ride him, uh, and then had to, having retired, watch him win at Aintree. But you know, he felt that it was the right decision to make. So we'll um, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I'm intrigued that neither of the French horses are coming over, um, given just how much they thumped him. I know that. It's a, a different time, but um, Lotamine and uh, Galopin Martin uh, deciding not to come to Cheltenham. Uh, it would be nice to see the French back. Uh, the Ballymore Novices Hurdle. Oh, dear. So we had the market 100% right on the Thursday in that we put up Hillcrest because mm. Balco Coastal was a very short price at the time. Yes. Uh, I, I feel robbed. <laughs> Feel sick uh, because uh, poor old Hillcrest got got very badly hampered, and uh, Richard Patrick didn't have much of a choice other than to go out the the side door. Um, North Lodge though ends up coming away the winner from Balco Coastal. Um, what was your overall take on the race? Well, I think it was a it was overall a, a misleading race in some respects. Um, there were hurdles they missed out. Hillcrest had a very unfortunate departure when. He was just slightly hampered when Harper's Brook fell and Richard Patrick just went over the shoulder and that was the end of his race. And he's looked a, a really smashing horse, a fantastic specimen of a horse. He's 17 hands plus, I think. And Henry Daly, his trainer, has said, you know, this is the best one we've ever had. And he's looked very special. So there were various circumstances, just four finished. North Lodge. What I did think, I mean, I, I like North Lodge. He's won, won two out of two. He looks a smashing horse. I've no idea whether he's going to be good enough to win at Cheltenham against some of the Irish horses. But um, he, he's done absolutely nothing wrong. He seems to have a very good attitude. What I did think was, I mean, he hung across um, Balco Coast a little bit in the closing stages. I'm not sure there was actual, maybe there was a little bit of interference, but he, he actually went on to win very clearly. And uh, there was no way the stewards were ever going to turn it round. No. And yet and yet, they took ages <laughs> to, yeah. to, to, to decide what was a complete formality, that the horse wasn't going to lose the race. And this this is frustrating because bookmakers want to be taking bets on the next race, you know, and you've got a steward's inquiry where, well, they might be looking at a riding offence, but they, they can announce the, the fact that the placings remain the same very quickly. They've only got to look at the race once from the head on, and they know that if the horse, what did he win by? He won by two and a half lengths. Well, when when do two and a half lengths winners ever get disqualified? Very, very rarely. And he was always going to keep the race. And if they thought Adrian Heskin was guilty of a riding offence, they could have dealt with that a little bit later on. But get the result out so that punters can have a bet and bookmakers can get betting again. It annoys me. No He's so end. inefficient. It's incredibly inefficient. And even photo finishes that, I mean, you can literally, it's, it's not a photo anymore, as, as my, <laughs> yeah. my colleague and, and 
your colleague and friend and uh, my colleague and friend Lee McKenzie said on TalkSport 2 the other day, they're not photo finishes anymore. It's literally right in front of you. You just zoom up and go, right, yeah. number one's one. Good. Fine. Well, both, both channels here have this sort of slow-mo finish, which can make us commentators look incredibly cautious or stupid. Um, and and they, it, it's clear in most cases what horses won is yeah. from that little slow-mo finish that they put up immediately after the horses have pulled up. And you can see pretty clearly what's won. Not always. You know, sometimes, you know, it really does depend on which horse's head is dipping at the right moment. But, um, yeah, I agree that um, you can get that result out quickly as well without, um, you know, um, any real reason for a, for, a, for a delay, you know, apart from the judges being a little bit conscious that, you know, not to make a mistake. Ugh. Now, that is the one thing I will say. There have been far too many mistakes, so maybe they're being extra, extra yeah, they cautious. Are. They, they are under a bit of pressure because they have been mistakes. And, and it is a, it, it's a, it's a job, unlike many others being a race course judge, because you do very little for 30 minutes, and then suddenly you've got to be absolutely on the button. Now, there's plenty of technology to help you, but you've got to be concentrating. And it's it wouldn't... I, I like the fact that being a commentator, I have a little bit more to to think about, you know, and calling them to the start, talking about them before the race on the streaming services, calling the race, doing all the preparation on the form before the meeting. Uh, but the judges, they have relatively little to do, and suddenly they're on. So it, it, it requires a job that requires concentration. Mm. A lot. Time. In other words, get your act together. Come on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The one race we'll talk about at Doncaster is the Skybet Yorkshire Rose Mare's Hurdle, which went to Miss Heritage. You were referencing this is the time of year where Paul Nichols gives flu jabs to his horses. Uh, yeah. Miranda was sent off a very short price favorite. She's a horse that's been held in reasonably high regard for, for quite some time. Um, came into this race on the back of a second to Molly Ollie's Wishes. Obviously, that form has been franked. And a win, then over Voice of Cam. Uh, but she got absolutely well and truly crushed here by Shawnee Quinlan on Shawnee uh, with Miss Heritage and uh, Lucy Wadham. Um, terrific for them. Uh, but again, what did you make of the race? Uh, well, you'd have to think that she ran quite a, quite a way below her best. Uh, it was a bad day, as we said earlier, for Paul Nichols, and he had several runners. Um, uh, I mean, simply the bets never travelled at Oof. all um, in the Cotswold Chase, he, way before his stamina was tested. I foolishly tipped Magic Saint on Saturday. He's a very well-handicapped horse, but, you know, he never travelled, really. You know, the writing was on the wall a long way out. And Miranda, on the at the weights and on the ratings, should definitely have beaten Miss Heritage, who hitherto would always seem to be a, a mare that liked plenty of cut in the ground. She's got plenty of deep ground form, but she just um, she just operated, didn't she? But uh, I would be very suspicious of the form. I think uh, Miranda probably just hasn't run her race, just like a, a few of her stable companions were disappointing on on Saturday, and they they had a rough day. Well, they've had a rough couple of weeks. They lost Master Tommy Tucker at um, oh. Lingfield the previous Saturday, and they lost another nice horse called Gala de Corton uh, last Saturday. Uh, it's been bad lately. I mean, uh, what more died at Cheltenham, and and of course Midnight Shadow was just a, a absolutely shocking injury in that Skybet chase, and uh, it, it, he was just a fantastic servant to Sue Smith, a very good horse, so consistent, so genuine, and it's just a really bitter pill to swallow when a horse like that has a has a uh, a fatal fall. But in, in this case, I think there's got to be a discussion about water jumps which aren't in front of the stands and uh, uh, and, and are therefore no spectacle because I think they're designed to be a bit of a spectacle. But uh, generally, I think they're, um, they're, they're an old-fashioned... I, I don't think they're necessary. I think uh, they're more trouble potentially than they're worth. I don't want to make this an overreaction because we don't get too many fallers at water jumps, but... Uh, I think they they cause problems of courses like uh, Newbury, uh, where they have the the horses have to come off a, a line to avoid the water jump. Um, perhaps people would miss the elbow in the Grand National. The elbow's there because the water jump is in front of the stands. But um, if a horse, I suspect Midnight Shadow probably just caught the lip um, of the water with at least one of his hind. Uh, feet and um you know it looked very much as though he might have broken his back or something you know it was just a shocking injury and uh, terrible to watch. It, it really was one of the worst things i've seen for a while and and unfortunately you know it was i was i was watching on television and, and you could see briefly but for long enough 
you know, the extent of the injury. So very sad. And we are getting a lot of fatalities. And uh, it's very hard to know quite what the reasons are. I think mostly the courses are doing a good job with the ground. Obviously, you don't want really fast ground, but their master, Tommy Sucker, you know, he it was heavy ground and he took the fall at um, Lingfield. So is it the horses are more... Um, heavily trained or is there a desire or a need to get them much fitter we know that jump horses these days are probably fitter than they've ever been before trainers can win with them off long layoffs they've got to get them fit maybe there's too much pressure on their limbs is there a problem with the the uh, the breed is it getting weaker it's just baffling but I, I do it was a problem last season there were uh, I understand having um, discreetly inquired about it um, but there were more fatalities last jump season, and I don't think it's been that great this season either. Obviously, it's not something that the BHA want to talk about or publicise a great deal. Um, so many that you have to accept. Yeah, it's bizarre that we seem to have both done the same thing independent of one another because I made some discreet inquiries as you phrased it as well um so i was a little bit alarmed at, uh, at what was going on uh, and it does appear as though last year was the worst for quite some time and it doesn't appear as though this year is is much better and you then would think that safety protocols will have been put in place one of the things that you mentioned about the breed being weaker are they getting weaker is there is there a genetic fault coming down the breed. I know that's definitely a thing that will never go on the record. I'll never get a bloodstock agent or a breeder to say that directly on the show. But I've spoken mm. to enough of them who will say, look at all of the wind surgeries that need to be done. There's clearly mm. a problem um, genetically with horses these days than there was before. Now, you could very much argue well, how many wind surgeries were going on behind the scenes that we never knew about? Uh, yes. that's, it's a different subject, but it does go to the weakening of the breed. And and is this a, is this a problem? In terms of Master Tommy Tucker's fall, I think that was just a, a horrible, tragic accident. And unfortunately, as Nicola Naylor, uh, when we did the special debunking the BBC's documentary, if the BBC want to do a documentary on abattoirs, I'm fine with that. Oh, and yes. they're right to do so. Yes. But show us what they're doing to the cows. Show us what they're doing to the goats. Show us what they're doing to the sheep. Show us how they're, they're slaughtering them as well. Don't just make it about racing. And don't dare uh, name a high-profile Irish trainer and a high-profile Irish owner and then make... Quick passive mention of uh, high-profile British owners, but move along quickly away from that. And there's no mm. British link whatsoever, aside from that. You know, it was all, oh, we're the bad guys, and we're the ones who are doing bad. And if you have the name of a guy who is a respected horse trader, who had told these owners in good faith, I'll take that horse off your hands, I've got a family who will look after him, then name and shame him and get him out of the sport. Mm. I'm, I'm fed up saying it. You know, if, if there is a guy masquerading himself as a respected trader and he's doing that and sending horses to abattoirs in the UK, then name and shame him and kick him out of the sport because no one wants him in it. Who the hell wants to work with that person? 
who wants yeah. them associated with your sport. But in in terms of the the ground, um, I think the the tracks come in for criticism in that oh god they're watering again, and they have to. Um, mm. It's like they're they're almost in that. So racehorse welfare is paramount, and I think that's something we can both agree on that that uh, racecourses, the BHA, the IHRB, uh, trainers for that matter, owners, welfare is a hundred percent paramount in everybody's mindset, and nobody wants to see this kind of thing happen. And the the example that you made from the Skybet chase, I mean, Jesus Christ, like a more lovable horse in Midnight Shadow, you couldn't come across, and for that yeah, to happen, exactly. and and to happen in the way that it did, so yeah. to put a button on it. We don't have water jumps in Ireland. There's, there's no water no. fences in, in, in Ireland. And it was something that used to, I remember it was um, when I was really getting into betting uh, and really getting my head around betting, there was a big topic of discussion about you'll never walk alone. I think it was the Hennessy. And would he cope with the water jump? And he didn't. But then he went yeah. on and, and won the old, the, the three-mile handicap chase on day one of the Shotland Festival. Um, uh, that same season, I believe. And uh, if you ask Barry Garrity, he'll tell you that he was one of the most naturally talented horses that that he ever rode. He stayed in Ireland to ride him, as opposed to go to the UK on on Boxing Day and say St Stephen's Day. Um, he was a an immensely talented racehorse, but water jumps weren't for him because we don't have them here. So that idea. Can that be put forward to racecourse authorities and racecourse exec- executives that if you want to keep water jumps, that's fine, but put them in front of the sands or have or leave them in front of the sands. Don't have them down the back where they're not actually really going to be. It's great for a photographer and it's great for uh, the cameras, but that's about mm. it. Well, in, in fairness, you know, uh, quite a few courses have taken their water jumps out and a couple of them have changed the nature of the obstacle. For example, at Huntingdon and at Sandown, the water jump at halfway down the back straight at Sandown is not actually a water jump anymore. This is quite new. This I think it's this season, and they just they've got this cover. Uh, it, it 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 kind of looks <laughs> like it's very blue water, but uh, it's got this blue cover. But it, there's no lip on it. And, and this is the the issue, I think. You know, if a horse puts down at the water jump, particularly doesn't quite reach the other end, as possibly was the case. This is speculation. We don't know, but it, that's the way it looked. Um, if they just catch the lip, then you know they can they can get injured. And uh, I spoke to um, Andrew Cooper, actually, the clerk of the course at Sandown, about it. And I, I said, well if you're going to take the water out, why don't you put in another fence at that point? And he said, well, statistically, there'll be more fallers if they put in another fence. And they do need an obstacle probably at that point because the horses will probably be just a bit too, might be racing a bit too quickly going onto those three railway fences. So is that, so they've, they've made this compromise with keeping a notional water jump, but it's not actually a water jump. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. That makes sense, and, and I'm glad and, um, no, no, it does. It, it, <laughs> it does. But it also was never a, a spectacle because it was way, it was in the back straight, and um, you know, a long way from the grandstand. And it's just something that um, I think it's a subject that pops up every now and again, and you know, you get an incident that that 
the like of what happened to Midnight Shadow, and it, you know, I think it needs revisiting. And uh, some people might like may like the water jumps, and after all, they jump a, a range of obstacles in cross country races, banks races. So it's not as though horses, race horses, can't jump a different obstacle. But I no, just but think um, different discipline. I think it's though. a little bit unnecessary, really. You know, I would I would personally. Yeah, think that we could do away with them and maybe just keep the ones in front of the stands, even though they can cause problems on the running. Yeah, it, it's a different discipline, and, and I wouldn't have a problem with a, a, a that style of jump in, in a cross country race, for example. Um, the cross country mm. races but they go a bit slower as well, don't they? they in most of these cross country races, and, exactly. Uh, yeah, you, you've summed that up in, in a much quicker and more succinct way than I was going to. Quite frankly, um, I, I think that. There's also the the point that while I would like to see a change in, in the water jumps in the UK, and I'm glad to see that Sandown have done that, and that's why I was I was I yeah. might have just come out. I'm not entirely certain if it did. I was so glad you mentioned that. Um, I just I just mentioned one other thing. You know, just yeah, talking about the injuries, and um, one thing that I've noticed over in recent years are that the fences have got smaller. And they've got quite a lot softer on a lot of courses. And you see horses literally halfway up able to go through. And and it's a perverse uh, thing to point to, to say, I, I suppose, that it, it can be better if the fences require a bit more respect uh, so that horses jump over them more rather than getting into the habit of jumping through. And I think jockeys would probably might um, just go a little slower if they thought that, the, the fences require that bit more respect. I'm just putting that out there, but I just that's just my feeling on it. That to some of the fences these days, I don't can't say for Ireland because I don't race in Ireland hardly ever. But but in Britain, a lot of the courses have got quite soft fences these days and quite small fences. I would agree with that, and the reason I would agree with it is the brief background that I had in show jumping. Um, you've got to be able, your horse has to be able to jump. It's not just about the fact that you're going to pick up a double fault. It's that you're going to go through that mm. fake wall or you're going to go through yeah. uh, the, that. Jump over. You're going to go through that fence. The, the horse is going to go, nah, and you're through it. Um, and, and pick up a, a nasty little injury for yourself. But the horse, the horse, him or herself, has to learn and they're slowly educated how to do it. They're slowly thought how to do it. And then they respect those fences. Whereas third time lucky, who we're, we're not going to dive into, but third time lucky, one time Oracle favorite, um, I'd say those fences at Doncaster are softer. He's come back with an overreach. Now, whether it rules him out of Cheltenham, we're not entirely mm. certain yet. But the point that he came back with an overreach may very well be a disrespect for fences. And so you are doing long-term, because, you, look, there's still fences. They might be softer, but there's you're still jumping through an obstacle. And if the horse doesn't respect that obstacle, they're either going to tumble or they're going to pick up an injury and do harm mm. to themselves. So it's a fine line. The one thing I will say is I'm in favor of the change water jumps. I think that's a really good point to make about fences, and it's something that is a difficult decision for the BHA to make and for the IHRB. But you know what? They're paid to make difficult decisions. Uh, I'm concerned to see that Sweden have said, we no longer want to have the pro-cush, as Dave Yates says, 
and I very much approve of Dave Yates's phrasing there. Uh, we don't want to use the Prokush for encouragement reasons anymore. You give mm. them, you give, and what we're referring to here is Peter and Animal Aid. You give them an inch, they'll take the entire sport. They won't be happy until they've taken it all. So you got to be very, very careful with the decisions that you make. And I think that is maybe a little bit too much. Well, um, I think you just have to be certain of your ground, don't you? And, um, you know, if, if water jumps, for example, are, are deemed to be a hazard to horse welfare, which has to be the bottom number. But I, I don't really want to go on the, the whip debate. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not doing but that. Would, We're not doing that. Just say, we both want to stay sane. <laughs> It, it is. It is more, for my, in my opinion, it's more of a cosmetic issue. You know, the fact that yeah. a man is seen to be hitting a horse, but it is not a welfare issue, particularly if uh, you know that pro kush whip um, is is not going to hurt a horse. Uh, it will act as an encouragement. You know, he will feel it. But uh, uh, and ultimately, I do think that we we want races to be won by the best and the most willing horses. You know? yep. But um, it's, we, we, it's a subject that's been done to death. And, and I did see the interview with Dave Yates on Sunday morning, and I would absolutely agree with him that uh, going down the disqualification route would be um, a bad idea. Oh, it'd be a nightmare. It'd be a complete nightmare. And, and he summed it up really well on, on Look on Sunday. Willie Mullins now has the uh, anti-post favourite for the National on Chase in Statler after beating Farouk Delane, who is a very, very good standard bearer here. And uh, Vanillier is miles back in third. And I think even on Baton, who's only had the one start over fences, is decent. Pretty sad to see Stratham finishing 94 lengths behind them. But does Statler deserve his position at the anti-post at the top of the market now as anti-post favourite for the National Hunt chase well i'm not absolutely sure what um, the opposition will be from this side of the rsc um but you know he's he's got to be right up he ran very well in the albert bartler didn't he at the festival last season he looks a proper stayer very genuine horse i thought he won with a little bit in hand um close to the finish against farouk delin and that if the race had gone on for another Two furlongs, he'd have come right away. He just seemed to he just seems to be a pretty relentless galloper. Uh, the form could be very strong. It was seven length, seventeen lengths clear of your favourite Vanillier, Ugh. or is it Vanillier? I don't know Vanillier. I just said, but um, um, so he, he's got to be. You know, he's got a, he's got some class form over hurdles. He's uh, won both his chases, and I love his attitude. Great attitude. Yeah. I'd agree with you, and I think that he very much deserves that position towards the head of the betting. We mentioned him before in that it's unusual for Mr. Bartlett to have a horse with Willie. Normally, this would be a, a Gordon situation, so if I did mention Gordon beforehand, apologies. Uh, Gavin Cromwell is currently operating at a 4% strike rate, 45 runs, 2 wins in the last two weeks, so maybe it's a case of Vanillier just hasn't performed. Um it could also just be a case of that Vanillier was exceptional at Cheltenham last season and mm-hmm. um, you know had some good novice form to his name, uh, particularly that run at Limerick, then kind of blew it at the DRF and then bounced back spectacularly at Cheltenham. But it's a dif- different discipline chasing. I thought he was really good on his second start of offences, but it just doesn't seem to have gone on. So look, we'll, we'll have to wait and see with him. Um, I'm not prepared to to give up on him just yet. And for those who didn't give up on Kilcrook, and 
for those who were messaging in saying, shouldn't we be backing Kilcrut at massive prices for the Supreme? Because he is, after all, the champion bumper winner, and maybe it's just taking him a little bit of time to get the hang of things. Uh, do you give those Final Furlong Podcast listeners hope, or do you think that he finally just managed to get the job done and keep himself together, winning by 21 lengths as the fives-on favourite, as he should be when he was 1-14, to 14, uh, the short. I think he's the shortest-priced favourite ever to be beaten in Ireland, uh, then, <laughs> then beaten by a journey with me when seemingly no excuses at uh, Leopardstown at the Christmas meeting and finally beats Bold Approach. So it is the supreme for him now. Is he a player? He's a player, um, but it's more based on his bump form, isn't it, than what he's done over hurdles so far. Because, as you say, he was 5-1 to one on to win at Punchestown. And the other point to make, um, that there's probably not much to choose between he and Sir Gerhard on bumper form. Well, Sir Gerhard's a leading contender for uh, for Cheltenham. Is he going to run in the in the Supreme, or is he going to run in the Ballymore, Sir Gerhard? It's a bit of um, a Willie Mullins is keeping his options fluid one. Oh, that it's, makes a change. It's a bit of Willie Mullins. <laughs> yeah, he never does that. He always commits <laughs> and stays. Yeah, I know. Um, he's always sure. <laughs> he's always so certain and so confident. I think that Willie wants to see how things play out in terms of uh, yeah. Sir Gerard. We'll see him at the weekend. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. Willie was was very intriguing in terms of how he talked about the Dublin Racing Festival after Leopardstown's Christmas meeting. Now, I don't want to take away from a meeting that I'm a big, big fan of and that we're about to give away tickets to, by the way. Um because I'm really excited about the Dublin Racing Festival and particularly the the Saturday card. But it was intriguing to hear him talk about alternative targets for horses when journalists were just automatically saying, DRF next, will he? Um, maybe stretch Cheltenham. Uh, maybe we'll go here. Maybe we'll go there. He was basically mentioning everywhere other than there. Um, so music to his ears is that he'll get the ground he wants. It looks as though he will anyway with the way the forecast is. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, it, 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 Things do change because I'm, I'm sure that when Alaho or after Alaho won the John Durkin, did, didn't he not say that uh, they'd probably just go straight to the, the festival after that? I'm I sure think you're right. I think and then you're he, right turned up, he turned up the other day and, and ran up. He's perfectly within his rights to be as flexible, take a flexible approach as possible according to how well the horse is and how, how uh, whether he thinks it needs a run, take some freshness out, out of out of him or whatever, if there's a good opportunity. But I, I suppose Kilcrook um, would probably, he would run in the Supreme. Of course, as we know, it's looking extremely hot, Supreme Novice Hurdle this season. Mm. Um, an intriguing race, really with uh, Dysart Diamond also looking very good and the, the two Henderson horses, John Bond, who uh, I would be a bit more positive about after his Haydock win than Me too. some people have been. Me too. And uh, Constitution Hill, of course, who's been pretty spectacular, uh, but will probably uh, be running on quicker ground than he's been running on at Sandown, even if it's good to soften that hurdles course at Sandown, officially it's it's a test, you know. So um, it's a it's an extraordinary race uh, to look forward to, the very first race of the meeting, and it's going to be one of the highlights. When you look back at that champion bumper, um, we had Danny and David Mullins on the show in the lead-up 
And both of them were saying how Patrick was just in love with Kilcarrot and nobody else could ride him. And mm. then Sir Gerard arrived. And it was all very last minute and it wasn't expected, of course, in the way that it played out. And Rachel was on board Sir Gerard. And I think you watched that. I watched it back to this morning, actually, in preparation for this. I think she nicked that race. I thought it was a terrific ride. And if I'll say it again, best jockey in the weighing room right now, Rachel Blackmore. Tactically, she was just absolutely superb that day. Um, was it Paul Townend was on board? I think it might have been, actually. It was. was. Yeah. yeah. Just called it that while you're talking about the it. Ama- was on the amateurs course. couldn't ride, of course, couldn't they? That was the had, devastating according thing. To the, according to the comment, he had a uh, four lengths to make up. Yes. A quarter mile ago. And uh, yes, and uh, Sigurhard made all the running. I, I haven't seen Sigurhard in the flesh, but he looks a great slab, fantastic, powerful looking horse. And uh, I should think. Uh, Whereas Kilcrook doesn't. I don't know whether that's true because uh, I've only watched him on television. Have you seen them in the flesh, the two horses? I've heard that. I'm trying to remember exactly what was said by, by Danny and David last year. I just remember that I think they were talking about his engine um, mm. more so than anything else, not to take anything away now from, from what happened. Because yeah. the, the thing is that the point I'm making here is that the form was reversed and that Patrick uh, kept the faith in Kilcrook. Now, it made sense... Uh, sorry, Patrick switched to Sir Gerard. That, that's what happens. We have to get this right. Uh, so Patrick then switches to Sir Gerard, thinking, "Oh, I've I found I was wrong. This is the fella to be to be with." And Kilcrut comes out under under Derek O'Connor and goes and wins. Uh, I think this that was a, a an incredibly different race to to Cheltenham, and where Derek O'Connor was able to get Kilcourt into a, a great rhythm, whereas he'd been cut out by a brilliant tactical ride from Rachel Blackmore by Sir Gerard. In terms of their future, I think he is uh, a decent enough stamp of a horse. And I just wonder if Kilcourt is the horse that you go for the Ballymore with, and Sir Gerard is the one who goes for the Supreme along with Dicer Dynamo, because you've got those... You've got three... And Willie likes to split them. So, what would you well, do? They, they, what would you do? Well, <laughs> I'm sure Willie's in a better position to, to make that decision. But I mean, Kilcrook was beaten over two and a half miles, wasn't he? Uh, earlier this season, there's they were whichever them of them ran in the longer race, it, it would represent a a new triple. They'd have something to prove at any rate, but. Uh, to run them both in that Supreme up against Dysart Diamond as well. I mean, he's probably going to split them up, but you never know because uh, I, one is Chiefly Park, isn't it? Sigurhard and Kilcourt has a uh, uh, different ownership. Yeah. Um, so you never know. They, they could run. I mean, Henderson's got to run John Bond and Constitution Hill in the same race. Not, neither horse really uh, looks as though it warrants taking a chance on going up to two and a half miles and they're going to run against each other. I think it's a race that um, is going to be almost too good to have a bet in. You know, oh, if you need to have a bet in the Supreme, something's wrong with you. Yeah, I think it's it's just a race to really watch and, and learn a lot from. And uh, if, a, if one of them wins by a decent margin, you know, it's probably a very special horse indeed. Yeah. Um, I think that the comments in the past about Kilcourt have been that he's quite light 
And so it doesn't take an awful lot of mm-hmm. getting fit, which should concern you that he was being beaten then. So maybe mm-hmm. two miles is more of his thing. Um, and in terms of Sir Gerrard, does he want to step up and triple? I don't know. Uh, they've also got Classic Getaway, who took the maiden hurdle. Uh, he just cost the £575,000. <laughs> uh, only, only that. Uh, apologies. £570,000. It wasn't that heck chaotic. It wasn't that mad a, a price. Um, look, he's been very lightly raised. He's clearly had uh, a few issues. Uh, 177 days from his transfer to, to Willie um, before he could make his run. 226 days off the track, beaten by Cashback, which was a bit of a surprise in the day, but Cashback is a classy horse in his own right. And then he ends up winning by four and a, a quarter lengths at the weekend. I'd have been pretty disappointed if he couldn't win, though, um, on Monday, in fairness. Yes, and Willie Mullins used the word workmanlike, didn't he, to describe mm. the performance. And uh, you'd have to say on what he's achieved so far that uh, he's he's probably... It might not be the best idea to go to Childer with him. Maybe he just needs a, a quieter, given if he, if he's had a few issues in the past, he's certainly likely to race. Or he might just have been allowed to mature. I don't know. I mean, it was interesting. Um, I was reading a piece uh, in The Telegraph yesterday by Charlie Brooks, who I didn't know this, but was a part owner of Energamen when what? he was winning when he was winning his point to point at Lark Hill. And um, Charlie Brooks was a part owner yes. of Energamen. Yes, he was. I and did not um, know. he must no. feel sick. He didn't retain. The... Well, no, no, I think they sold. I think they sold him very well because uh... he won. He won, in, he won, and he was making it, the, the main thrust of his point was that um, British point to point, he's got to start upping its game. You know, if it's going to get anywhere like the Irish point-to-point scene, which produces so many fantastic horses, and that um, far from there being more four-year-old maiden races after a Nurgamen did so well at the age of four, um, there are actually less four-year-old maiden races now in British point-to-point, so there's not not any great opportunities for people to, to have four-year-olds. But anyway, the point I was going to make was that um, in his piece, uh, when a Nurgamen went to Willie Mullins... Willie Mullins got gave him a lot of time off because he felt that he, he was weak and um, would appreciate it and be a better horse with with a bit of time. Whereas a lot of people think, well, a horse that can win a point to point must be fairly precocious, but it doesn't mean that they're strong enough to deal with a you know a full campaign over in uh, under rules and and in the long term it probably is better if they're just given some time. And that's what he's done so brilliantly with Anurgamen. Yeah, rowdy in French apparently. That's what it means. What does it mean? Rowdy, according to my translation app, rowdy. I say. Energumen. Well, and, it's, co- and it's energumen and not energumen. Oh, no. Get it right, Ebert. Me getting a French <laughs> pronunciation <laughs> wrong? <laughs> Never. Uh, no. I had a, there was one yesterday at Plumpton and somebody, well, kindly, I suppose you say kindly, corrected me about it later on uh, yesterday. And um, it was a, a Gaelic horse, Uh-oh. which looked like annuous R&B post. But in actual fact, it was something very, very different. And um, I, I would never have got it in a million years. And there was nothing on Google that you could... Uh, of course, um, there is. Yeah, <laughs> it's Ireland. You know, They're never... It, it was just hopeless, you know, trying to do... It, it actually... So it looked like annuous R&B post, but actually it's annuous air on bust. So... <laughs> What chance have you got? Anyway, it's... And it's there on bust. 
<laughs> and a cereal bust. Do you know what it means? Not a clue. I I failed Irish. I've said this before. I failed. I got an A in French, bizarrely, and and, and just ended up speaking English to the um, to the. So when you do your, um, I think I think some of these owners do it deliberately to trip us commentators. Well, Bulger definitely Kempton. does. Yeah, Kempton the other night there was a horse um, which was spelled M A N D M, so I called it well Mandum. You know, and uh, just leaving the course, it was in the last race, and one of the owners touched me on the arm and said, um, "Actually, it's M and M." Oh, for God! I said, "Well, why didn't you put a space between the M, M and the N? <laughs> you know, how, how are you supposed to know? <laughs> it's named after Mick and Mark or something." Oh, <laughs> so, for God! So you got what chance? What chance have you got? I don't have a chance. <laughs> there is no chance. And uh, you're right about Jim Bolger's horse. You know, you need a degree in Gaelic, don't you, to pronounce some of those oh, correctly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to have... <laughs> anyway, it's all part of the fun. You have to have Honours Irish uh, to, to, to do yeah. Jim Bolger's stuff. Um, <laughs> so just to clarify, it's Anergamine? Anergamine. 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 I knew I'd get it wrong first time. Damn it. All right. Anergamine. All right, we got that. Actually, in fairness, I, I have noticed that Jerry's very good on the French pronunciations um, in his commentaries. He is. Um, the, the presenters may get them wrong, but Jerry's usually on the button, as far as I can tell, anyway. No, he is, to be fair. And yeah. um, he's normally 100% when it comes to the Irish as well, and I wouldn't have a no, that's, Scooby. That's them doing, yeah. I, do, <laughs> I do remember Nick Luck turning to me one day and saying, how do I pronounce that? And I was like, you're asking the wrong fella. <laughs> But you're Irish, that you're still asking the wrong fella. Um, yeah. Oh dear. Uh, right. Who who is your horse to take away from the last few days' action? Oh gosh. Um, I suppose Pied Piper was the the standout, wasn't it? Really, just the ease with which he won. Going back to what we said, don't know what he beat. Uh, a couple of the horses probably ran by low par. The Alan King horse didn't travel, was flat to the board all the way. Paul Nicholas's horse pulled hard, but it absolutely counted up. And for me, the thing that nails it was that he recorded a time as a four-year-old and carrying only a little bit less weight uh, at a similar time as Cormier did in the earlier quite good handicap hurdle. So that all goes very well. And of course, he costs two hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds, which means he's an absolute good thing. For, well, for Her Majesty needs the money. She needs the money. You see? These Prince Andrew <laughs> issues are. You know, oh, I was not... going to say legal fees. Anyway, <laughs> I think we should uh, move on. <laughs> These things don't solve themselves, uh, right? That's it, uh, Simon. Thank you so so much for okay. your fantastic insight. Um, where are you commentating this week? I'm, I have a few days off now after the rigours of trying to pronounce horses correctly <laughs> at Plumpton yesterday in Kempton. Uh, I'm going to Lingfield on Saturday. And uh, I don't have an awful lot of... Uh, the next big one I do is the... I do the Sandown before the Charlton Festival and then I, I'm working two days at the Charlton Festival. Fantastic. And then Grand National and on from there. Well, please God, we will see you at the Cheltenham Festival. Looking forward to it. Yes. Looking forward to it, as ever, yeah. Uh, Simon, thank you so, so much for your insight, your input, and um, love talking to you about the weekend's racing. Some fascinating topics in there as well, and uh, looking forward to chatting to you again, hopefully before Cheltenham. Okay, all the best, Anna. Don't forget your chance to be at the Dublin Racing Festival this weekend, not just passes for the Saturday, weekend passes. You and a friend, there Saturday and Sunday. How do you win? It's really... 
real simple. All you have to do is take a screenshot of you subscribed to the Final Furlong Podcast on whatever Twitter app you use and tweet us, hashtag FFPComp. Right, so if you're subscribed to us on Spotify, who we're signed to, uh, Apple Podcasts, who our largest audience is with, if you're with us on TuneIn, wherever, whoever it is that you listen to us on, take a screenshot of you following or subscribed for free to the Final Furlong Podcast and tweet that to either at Radio Emmet or at Final Furlong Podcast using the hashtag FFP. Comp, C-O-M-P, all one word, and we will announce the winners on Wednesday evening so you can plan your weekend at the Dublin Racing Festival. Not one, not two, but three individual winners who get weekend passes. Three individual winners you can bring whoever you want. Dublin Racing Festival, this weekend, it is the place that you want to be, even if the weather isn't the best. Enter now for free on Twitter. Hashtag FFPComp with that screen grab of you subscribed or following the Final Furlong Podcast on whatever podcast app it is that you and we will announce the winners, as I said, on Wednesday evening. And the pressure lies with Tuala because I don't like that pressure. Best of luck. We're back on Thursday with Dennis O'Regan, top jockey, to preview the DRF and uh, talk to you about the intricacies of Leopardstown, how it's developed into this massive, massive event, the possible outcomes it will have on Cheltenham as well. Join us Thursday as Dennis O'Regan makes his debut on the Final Furlong podcast as we preview the Dublin Racing Festival. Make sure to enter the competition at Radio Emerson on Twitter, at Final Furlong Pod, hashtag FFPComp, a screen grab of whichever podcast app you follow the Final Furlong Podcast on. Winners announced on Wednesday evening will be contacted then by Leopardstown. Be safe, take care, we'll talk to you soon. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app and get involved today. All About Sunday, we love racing. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook, the market-leading messenger betting service, providing best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing, plus with the option of instant withdrawals. Visit kalukisportsbook.com to sign up now.